0: Welcome back in listeners to a very special episode of whisper in the wings we are joined by two incredible artists today with a great new show we have sophie dushko who is the playwright and cc kellogg who is the director of this great new show galatea 2.0 which is playing now through july 23rd at brooklyn art house you can get your tickets and more information by visiting stellartickets.com this is a really fun and fascinating version of a classic tale that we are excited to bring to you so why don't we go ahead and welcome on our guest today Sophie, Cece, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having us, Andrew. We're thrilled to be here.
0: I am so excited to have both of you here today talking about this great new show, Galatea 2.0, which as I was reading in the press release, it's not... Not what I thought it was going to be. Like, <laughs> initially, like, when I got the press release, got the title, I was like, oh, yeah, cool. This is going to be like way out there, something space like. And I started reading it and I'm like, I'm sorry, were we telling what tale? And I, oh, oh, you know. <laughs> so, Sophie, let me start with you and have you tell our listeners a little bit about what your play that you've written, Galatea 2.0, is about.
2: Yeah, I wish it was a space odyssey. I wish I had the capacity to write that. That sounds amazing. Galatea 2.0 is inspired by examining, retelling, exploding the myth of Pygmalion and Galatea from Ovid. So the tale of a sculptor who was kind of a misogynist, and he built his perfect woman out of stone because he couldn't find any real women that he found appealing. And then he begged the goddess Aphrodite to bring her to life when he fell in love with her. And she does. My play doesn't really set in that time. It's a little little more modern. The statue is a sex doll or a sex worker. There's two actors and the main, in those roles, the main pitch is that a man hires a sex worker to role play as a top of the line love doll when his has broken. That sounds like one play. There's like six other threads happening. Walls collapse, blue Gatorade is spilled everywhere, packing peanuts, dolls come to life, 20th century theatrical convention, puppet dogs, everything and everything you could imagine. But I just really wanted to explore the idea of the muse and the art object versus the artist and what it means to objectify yourself and be objectified and how to kind of bring yourself out of objecthood into life, especially as a woman, and especially as a woman in the arts.
0: Wow, <laughs> I mean, we are tackling like six great issues, bam, bam, different the other. That's amazing. So, how did you come up with the idea for the show?
2: It's a great question. I wrote a monologue when I was in college. I went to college for musical theater, I'm a performer as well, and I was in this devised piece about art making. And I was kind of playing this character of the muse and I wrote a monologue for myself to perform. That was a compilation of fragmented quotes from 20th century muse women. And I kind of was like, okay, that's my treatise on that. That's done, sign off, we're finished. And then a couple of years later, I was in a playwriting workshop in Chicago and had to write like a short under 10 minute play and was still thinking about those same issues and went to see the retrospective of Laurie Simmons' work at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago. And she has this whole series of photographs of love dolls, of those top of the line sex dolls that she had imported. And she sets them up, she dresses them in different clothes and sets them in different positions. Some are more sexualized, some are more domestic, some are more just normal and intimate. And I was blown away and I was really inspired. I'm often inspired by works of visual art to start writing. I work from image and I had the image of a man pulling a body that looks like one of those dolls out of a box, carrying her, doing some behaviors with her where you think she is a doll and then you see that doll come to life and become a person and I wrote a 10-minute version and then a year later, the play was still talking to me. I was still interested in those issues. And so I wrote a one act version. That monologue from 2017 came back in. George Bernard Shaw was not quite in yet, but his muse, Mrs. Patrick Campbell, was. I was already blurring times, put the one act version away, submitted it to grad school, set it aside, and then it was still talking to me. And I wrote the full length version after that. And it just got, I just let it get wilder and wilder. But the impetus was
0: was art. I love that. What a journey. Yeah. Now Cece, I want to bring you in on this. How did you come upon this great work?
1: So I was really lucky. I'm also the facilitating director of Invulnerable Nothings, which is the company that's co-presenting Galatea 2.0 with Brooklyn Art House. And Involno's runs a yearly residency in Midcoast Maine called Barn Lab. It's a three week residency where we look at solo performance, generative works, and then two to three full-length plays. And I was very lucky last year, last spring, as a reader, because Sophie submitted to Barn Lab and was one of our selected projects for this play in particular. And I was really just so impressed with its commitment to theatricality and to form, just to encounter something on the page. it's, It's always really refreshing when... A playwright has the ability to really stretch their gift, and and Sophie's gift is immense and very stretched in this play insofar as we have sort of hyper-realistic, almost mumblecore banter, and then found text and diary entries from the 19th century and beautiful seven-minute soliloquy. It's kind of, it's everything that a director could, could hope for and that a company could hope for. So, yeah, that's... That was my first encounter. We, we worked on the show out in Maine last year. We had a second workshop here in the city in, in Gowanus at, at Mercury store that focused on the technical elements of the play because there's a lot of projection and more tech heavy stuff to think about. And that was very successful and then spent the last eight, eight months knowing that this play was something that we we're hoping to premiere in the first half of 2023. And that's what's happening this July at Brooklyn Art House at this brand new, beautiful, beautiful venue in Williamsburg 99 seat theater. So we were just super blessed to, I feel super blessed to get to be a part of, of premiering this, this work.
0: Fantastic. I love that. I love the journey the show's gone on, not only in the writing of it, but now the putting it together and and developing it. And that actually leads to my next question that I want to stick with you on, Cece, which is what has it been like developing the show, particularly in this new space that you mentioned in Williamsburg, the Brooklyn Art House?
1: Yeah, it's been it's been wonderful. I mean, we've we've been working on the show. Shout out to, to a number of actors and designers who have helped, you know, lead. these types of projects take so many people to come to fruition. And we had people in the room last summer who were just fantastic, helping, helping us work on the text. And I had a concept for the production early on. There's a lot of doubling. There's a lot of interest in simulacra, obviously, and in the mirror. And so I was... Really committed to building a company. It's it's a company of four actors. There's a, a um, male identifying actor who plays three three roles in a larger track, and then there's a wonderful actor who plays Mrs. Patrick Campbell, this nineteenth into twentieth century incredible stage presence and actor manager who is the original Eliza, the English um, Pygmalion from George Bernard Shaw. And then there's Eliza, who is a, a young cam girl sex worker, and Galatea, our top-of-the-line love doll. And I was really interested in those last two roles and finding two actors to play both parts and having them explore those tracks together. And so Sophie and I, along with the company, auditioned a ton of a ton of actors who would not only be playing this role of, you know, the kind of hero's journey role, but also the very physically static, very difficult Galatea track as well. And we were super lucky this spring to find Violet Savage and, and Izzy Marr who are are sharing those two parts together. They flip a coin before each show to determine who's going to play which role, which has been very exciting in production. But yeah, Brooklyn Art House came in, you know, Alex Orthwine and Isaac Bush, who are their executive directors, have been working to develop the space in Williamsburg throughout the pandemic. They've gone through this multi-year renovation on a really beautiful commercial space that also has a gallery and cafe called Cafe des Artistes, and I met with them this spring about about the show and sent them the script. And they were super responsive and, you know, have come on as presenting partners, which is so wonderful and have been really supportive in terms of making this three week, 16 performance run a reality. So I'm just forever grateful. And it's been really fun to be the first people in in brand new space that opened in June. So this is their first multi-week theatrical run, which is a real privilege. Yeah, we're, we're flipping coins and our other two actors who are just the bomb or Meg, Meg McCary who's playing Mrs. Pat and who was there for that tech um, workshopping that we, we did at Mercury store last summer. And then Vincent Sanford, who has been working with Invulnerable Nothing since 2016 and has been with the show since I started with it since a year ago. So it's just been it's been really wonderful to grow it with this team.
0: Is there a message or a thought you're hoping that audiences will take away from the show? And Sophie, I want to start with you on that question.
2: I think, as a playwright and as an artist, I am most excited by the idea of not having like a concrete thought or answer or revelation when I go to see something, but I had a teacher in college talk about the idea of an artistic experience as being like when you go to a foreign country and you come back and you don't really know what happened to you, like it's not like a concrete like, oh, I learned this new thing, or like, I dyed my hair, my hair is different. But like you are changed <laughs> in a way that you can't quite tell, and it might it's just trickling through your veins. And I think that's my goal, kind of as a writer, is to have people walk away and feel something shift in them and not necessarily know have words for that shift yet or know what that shift is with this play I think it's been very interesting having a variety of audiences having audiences who are some of our actors parents who are older and actors friends who are in their 20s and actors, kids who are still like in high school and finding that range of experiences, male identifying people and women are having different experiences. Um, But I think something that is really exciting to me and watching, especially watching Izzy and Violet go through the journey as Eliza is watching someone able to articulate themselves. She starts to play very In service, in literally a service role, a sex worker is a service worker and is responsive. And throughout the play, she is able to articulate something about herself that she never has before and found something about herself she never has before. And an exciting thing we realized opening week that I realized about my own work was she starts the play in that kind of mumble core style text that Cece mentioned in fragmented sentences. The first section of the play, almost no one finishes a sentence. It's so, they're so unable to communicate and close. And by the end of the play, her last line is an iambic pentameter, which I didn't even realize I did until this week, but it's like that journey. I want an audience to feel that, to feel that heartbeat in themselves and feel what it feels to feel their body experience that is kind of my thing. There's obviously political implications and identity implications to the text, but rather than have a dogmatic perspective on it, I think it's something that's actually really universal and bodily. That's my take.
0: I see. What about you as the director? What is the message of thought you're hoping audiences take away?
1: I guess similarly to Sophie. I think something that I responded to in the work is how much empathy she approaches all of her characters with. And something that I found gratifying about working on this text in particular is the conversations that have come come out of it, certainly with all of us as, as collaborators, but just at the bar after the show, sort of object, visa, subject, loneliness, cultural loneliness, like a- across the gender spectrum. Those have been things that people have been coming straight out of the theater, sidling up to the bar and chatting with their neighbor about, which is just like what you what you hope for. And similarly, I, I've just been blown away by the, the, the nightly journey for Eliza, certainly, and for Mrs. Pat, for all of the characters, frankly, towards like a more self-actualized, self-knowing mode of being. I think we're all looking for that and it can be very difficult to achieve and it can be very difficult to achieve in the body. And this is a play that's very much about bodies and bodies and fragments and, and, and bodily autonomy and, and ownership of the body and embodied performance. So yeah, that's, that's been really, really exciting and really gratifying, very
0: That's wonderful. My final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to Galatea 2.0? And Cece, I want to start with you on this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I one thing that's super important to me in, in terms of, of accessibility is keeping ticket prices really low. Our, our, all of our tickets are $25 or under. That tends to be the way that the company makes work in general. It's so hard, obviously, to make work in New York City, but as, as the cost of attending theater increases, it feels like every week, People end up just seeing fewer and fewer things. And so that's been really vitally important to us and to, to our venue partners, which is wonderful. They've been super supportive and excited by that. I, I'm very excited for young women, young female identifying people to, to see this show, because I feel that if, it, if, if I, it's a show that I had encountered as a teenager, it would have excited and challenged me in really positive ways. And so having some of those younger audiences and, and obviously it's about women in their early early 20s a woman in their her early 20s in large part but that's been really really great yeah that's sort of but I, I just I hope people I hope that the work is made in such a way that even if it has a has a focus on a certain identity experience that it's that it that it's gratifying and exciting for a, a wide wide variety of audiences and, and I think that Frankly, so far we've we've been running it for two weeks now. That has been that has been the experience.
0: So I'm proud of that. And you should be. I mean, that's wonderful, Sophie. What about you? Who do you hope have access?
2: I echo everything that Cece said. I think all of that. Yes, 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 yes. There was a night this past week. I think where there was a group of older women there and a group of younger women, like women in their early twenties and women in their 60s 70s and having conversations with both of those groups that night where they are articulating the same thing in different words and from completely different experiences that was a really wonderful moment for me personally um I felt like I am in my 20s and my later 20s now but I like obviously I'm going to relate more with those characters obviously if there's a place of autobiography that's coming out of me in the work it's going to go there but the character of Mrs. Patrick Campbell has been moving me more and more I mean obviously thanks to Meg McCary's amazing excellent transcendent work but watching a woman in middle age come to terms with some of her own blind spots and the way she's let herself be objectified in the same way that the younger woman mm-hmm. has. And their moments of connection are really like huge cornerstone of the play to me. And watching that happen in an audience in the bar after, which like again, huge plus of Brooklyn Art House. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous bar with like amazing natural wine. So everyone hangs out and stays, which just is a huge part of the theatrical hearings that I love. And getting to see that was like my big, show's kiss, like, oh, my heart
1: moment.
0: I want to switch lanes now for the second part of our interview and let our listeners have the opportunity to get to know the two of you a little bit more personally. And of course, our regular listeners already know it's coming. The first question I want to ask the two of you is what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you in the past or are some of your favorites? And Sophie, why don't I start with you again on this one?
2: I think in terms of playwrights maybe this is like the most it's like the most stressful question in a way as a playwright being like these are my influences and thinking if someone comes to see the show are they going to see these influences in my work or am I now comparing myself to them I don't know but I was talking with someone after the show the other night about Charles Mee and his work with classical text in a very modern way collage type work. That has always been, I did a Charles Mead nee play in college. I did Big Love and that was a huge experience for me. And Carson is another one. I love writers who are using Marina Carr to classical worlds in our modern, like in poetry and big, big huge theatrical feelings and and distilling them and shifting them and collaging them. These are composers and I'm a musical theater girly at heart, in my blood. And I was working in Montreal last year in a playwriting program on a bunch of plays. And the person I kept coming back to is reference points and influences with Stephen Sondheim. Yeah, the work of Stephen Sondheim is a really huge influence on my work because of the way he uses form and the structure of all his shows are entirely different the way the bodies move in space the musical form and I think being a playwright who is not a musical theater artist anymore who is influenced by musical theater has allowed my work to be thea- like theatrical and heightened and use dance and song and different forms
0: of text so yes I love that oh I love that Well, Cece, what or who inspires you?
1: Oh, I'm inspired by so many people. I I mean, right now I'm feeling very inspired by this group of collaborators. I have to admit that to be true. And Mrs. Patrick Campbell. I'll, I'll give her a shout out. I would also echo Sophie. Marina Carr is like a really important star in my literary lexicon. And something that her work shares with Sophie's work is it's not afraid of adaptation. It's not afraid of... Colossal story and, and familiar familiar story, regurgitated through a new cultural lens. And like that's always very exciting to me. Obviously, Carol Churchill as like the great OG goat, whatever you want to say. Liz Lacombe as a director. I am not never going to be able to give up my undergraduate obsession with the Wooster Group, and certainly Depp and Donnellan and cheek by jowl and Deborah Warner, right, in terms of directors. Yeah, I'm inspired by, I'm I'm inspired by so so many. Those Those are a few. I'm really inspired, I'm reading a great book right now by Kate Briggs called The Long Form. That's just about a woman who's just had a baby receiving an Amazon package with history of Tom Jones in it and spending the day reading. It's an 800 page book about the kind of, a day in the life of like a young mother and i'm having a baby next next month and i'm my first child and i've been spending a lot of time with that feeling very inspired and i i'm excited to reread fielding for the first time as a result i don't know that's a that's a lot those are the things i'm thinking about i mean like tons of filmmakers too but yeah those are
0: a few that's amazing have either of you seen any great theater lately you might be able to recommend to our listeners? I know you've been very busy with Galatea, but on the off chance that you've gotten to see anything lately?
1: Yeah, for sure. I can jump, jump in on that one. I saw Orpheus Descending last week. I got to see one of the early previews, and I would absolutely recommend it. Speaking of affordable tickets, one of my favorite things about Fauna is the New Deal program, which... Basically, you can buy a twenty dollars ticket to see one of their shows if you're under thirty or a full time student of any age, and I think it's just like an incredible. I mean, the, the Polanski Shakespeare Center is such a brilliant and beautiful space, and that show and Erica Schmidt's directed direction are, are super interesting. So I would I would recommend that and without reservation. And then a friend of the company and frequent collaborator Joe Maderos is running his all ancient Greek books one and two of the Odyssey this July, including a performance of pay as you can performance in Central Park on Monday Monday the 24th. So I am very excited to be attending that in a week's time he performs book one in his apartment for audiences at three and then he performs book two again all in ancient greek in central park so that's those are my two delicious artistic experiences of this two-week period that i'm very very much looking forward to or very much enjoyed and those are
2: both things i that i will be seeing i have not yet seen but i have like because i trust cc's taste with every fiber of my being and brain (laughs) but also i feel like i something i will shout out now because i feel like a lot of things i've seen that have been really moving to me have been really short runs recently have been like everything i've seen before we were deep in tech is already closed because a lot of the indie more accessible. Theater, theater my peers are making, theater I would like to make myself is on showcase codes or shorter codes or in transient spaces. And so I do want to give a shout out to Staff Picks and the new venture that is highlighting these really short runs. We were one, which is like really exciting, but I think there's just, if you go on every week on their website, staffpicks.com, you get to see this whole other world of New York theater that sometimes i feel like even as a maker of it i don't have access to and so that to me is very exciting and i won't be able to catch a lot of the shows that are there now because we are fully in our process and i live at the theater but i i was very excited by that venture in terms of things i can recommend to you that i love like they're they're long gone at this point hopefully they'll have more lives
0: yeah. i love that though thank you for the tip about where to find stuff though that's amazing. Let me ask you too, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Cece, I'd like to start with you on that.
1: I mean, it's certainly the people and the relationships. I, I think we all love the team sport of it. If you keep keep going, I mean, I, I feel so blessed to get to work closely and rely closely on my collaborators every day, cast, creatives, designers. Like, this team in particular has been just like such a blessing. Everyone's been, you know, all hands on deck, leaning in to make, make our show happen, and so smart. I, I just, I feel like that's the kind of, ma- the magic of it is the community of makers, and then the community and the communion with audience. I mean, I think that that's like a, a, a totally undeniable, alchemical thing in the world that if you have a taste for, it's, Yeah. The, the desire for that is immense in, in either direction. Like, I love being able to sit in the th- theater and participate in the ritual of, of watching the work of others and and also presenting my own work. So, yeah, that's all. I guess it's just community, which is such a bore. It's the most, I'm sure it's what everybody says, right? But I, that, that is what it is.
0: Like, community is so important. I think that's the thing that we missed the most when we had to be away from each other. And it's... It's something that we will never take for granted again. So I love that answer. Love that answer, Sophie. What about you?
2: Oh, I mean, for me, it's the fame and attention. That's <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> no, no. It's the like, it's it's the it's the share. It's the people. It's the ensemble. It's the fact that this is one of the few. Again, I, like I had a teacher in college It's said theater is made out of relationships like it doesn't exist the material of what we do is relationships whether it's the ones that are happening on stage or the one with the audience and that's why I've, I've performed my whole life I've made theatrical work my whole life that's why I keep doing it that's it's not about it is about the audience it is about attention but it's about focused attention and shared attention and communicated emotion and experience and shared breath which is just so cool. Yeah, and I feel very lucky. I, as an artist, I've been searching, I think, for a theatrical community and theatrical home for the last few years. I've kind of bopped around a lot um, since graduating from undergrad. And being in New York this time, I moved back last August, and being back in the city this time and working on this play, and having seen some other people and companies and friends, I'm really just reminded again of that that community aspect, that, that band of very, very players that shared shared weird carnival-esque attitude.
0: Love that. Another great answer. And now we've arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory?
1: I want to start with this one because I had an answer for this question. But my answer done changed yesterday because my new favorite theater memory is Ms. Sophie Dushko with five minutes to go before her own show, stepping in for an actor who had an allergic reaction and giving an incredible performance for our yesterday's matinee. So we were about to call the show. An actor was getting into a car to, and, and we're super happy to call it. And Sophie was like, no, I think... I think I'm I'm fine to go on, and then just delivered a bomb a bomb performance in her own play with no five minutes notice. So that's my my dearest, newest minted theatrical theatrical memory.
0: Wow! Wow! Wild
1: Thank West. you for
0: sharing that. And Sophie, wow! Way to go! There's a story you do not hear every day. Usually it's like something like this happening because of COVID and you're like, oh no, an allergic reaction, you know, just a Tuesday.
2: (laughs) It was, yeah, it was wild. Yeah. It was the type of thing where it was like five minutes before we opened the house is when I realized the reaction was happening to the actor and she still thought she could go on. And then things, things escalated really quickly. Good thing. It was, just the monologue I wrote for myself to perform six years ago and it somehow still was in my brain. (laughs) Like, I don't know how brains work, but something about rhythm and performance has made it stick. So it was a, that was probably one of my top theatrical memories too. But (laughs) true testament to, I said this to our group yesterday, but like to the strength of this ensemble and the support within the whole team on this show that with zero rehearsal, like not even a moment's, rehearsal including like a lift that was we've never done before and actor manipulation of bodies on stage and a lot of things that I just felt so carried and supported and it was just easy to slot right in and that is just a testament to that
0: well thank you both for sharing those memory well I guess that that shared memory because that is very
1: recent very recent shared memory lord
0: that was amazing though Are there any other projects or productions that either of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug?
1: Yeah. In Vulnerable Nothings is going to have an exciting season this year. We're going to be revisiting a workshop production of Austin Nielsen's Hamlet, which is a green screen recreation of a 1921 silent movie starring Austin Nielsen as who was a great Danish silent film star as, as Hamlet. Um, And a brilliant actress, Kristen Winters, is recreating that performance shot for shot in front of a green screen and then getting fed into, into the original film, which I'm very, very excited to be revisiting. Pamela Inns, another Barn Lab alumni, I'm I'm directing for the company with a co-production with Theater for the New City, her play Falling Sideways. Off the Edge of the Earth, which is just a wonderful, crazy, mad, lyrical exploration of the liminal space between life and death. And there are swings and theremins and all sorts of wild antics. I love Pam's work, so I'm very privileged to get to work on that this January. And then there will be in the spring and potentially in the fall a workshop of a... The company also does a lot of... Or, I, I have an academic focus on early modern texts and, and Invulnerable Nothings has worked on Decker and Ford and a lot of early modern writers around Shakespeare as opposed to Shakespeare himself. And we are going to be doing a full production of Jane Lumley's translation of Iphigenia at Aulis, the Euripides classic, which is actually the first dramatic work by a woman that we have in English, like the oldest text that exists in English composed by a woman, and it's never been performed in this country. So I'm very excited to have that, her translation be brought to life. And Sophie is part of that company as an actor. So anyway, those are kind of the three other very film focused and FIM-forward shows that we'll be we'll be doing in 2023, 2020, 2024 as, as company. Well, Iphigenia,
2: we did a really fun reading of it back in the spring, and I'm excited to keep continuing work on that, doing some choral work. I also have a play, How Would You Like Me to Atone, that we did one reading for a stage in-process reading this spring at the Brooklyn Center for Theater Research. We're talking about doing sort of a workshop hybrid reading workshop production with some invited audience or some public audience depending on where we get probably early fall but it's a play that deals with intense <laughs> intense material like rape, basically and violence and trauma and recovery from that and the first reading I had some really lovely feedback and we're it's kind of shifting form and using more, more ensemble work um so I'm excited to work on that And I'm excited to hear it and play with some actors, hopefully this early fall.
0: And that leads me to my final question, which is, if our listeners want more information about Galatea 2.0 or about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do so?
1: I would encourage listeners to visit the Invulnerable Nothings Company website, which is www.invulnerablenothings.com. My email's on there. I, I'm always happy to chat about other people's projects and, and work and lo- love getting those emails. There's also a great deal of information on Galatea available, available on the website. So that would be my plug.
2: And I have a website that is my name.com. And I feel like in terms of socials, I'm more active on instagram which is also just my name sophie dashko and feel people can message me it also has links to my new play exchange my website tickets to galatea any updates on readings and workshops and all that
0: wonderful well sophie cc thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with me today this has been absolutely amazing and discussing your new work has been incredible as well i I'm over the moon about it. I really hope I get to see the show because it sounds fantastic. So thank you both for taking the time to speak with me today.
1: Andrew, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. I have a million questions about your work. I look forward to, <laughs> I, I hope you guys turn the mics on each other and, and do, and I, would love, I would love to hear that episode if it hasn't, hasn't happened already.
0: That, 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 would, that actually is kind of a cool idea, but thank you both. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. My guests today have been the playwright Sophie Dushko and the director C.C. Kellogg, who are involved in the new show Galatea 2.0, which is played now through July 23rd at Brooklyn Art House. You can get tickets and more information by visiting StellarArtTickets.com or check out InvulnerableNothing.com. They're, they're one of the partners putting on the show. And they're an incredible group. You can head over there and get more information about it, as well as more information about that company and all the great work they do. You can also contact Cece through that website. And you can get a hold of Sophie by visiting her website, sophiedishco.com or following her on Instagram at sophiedishco. We're going to have all this information posted on our episode description, as well as on our social media post. But in the meantime, if you're here in New York, you're here in Brooklyn, Head on over to the Brooklyn Art House now through July 23rd and check out Galatea 2.0. So, until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies,
1: and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you.
2: If you like what you hear,
1: please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe.
0: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at StageWhisperPod.
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is "Maniac" by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray.